We're on a journey to the cross. That's the series we're in. We're heading to the cross, that central event. Um, I'm reminded of the relevance of it um, in our own world. I was yesterday at home. Uh, we've got a few things going on in our world. And uh, getting some things done at the house and knock on the door. And it was our friends, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, came to the door knocking. Began a, a brief conversation. And they said, did you know, they invited us to an event on we call it Good Friday, and said, did you know that Jesus told us uh, that this is his body and this is his blood, and they instituted this thing called the Lord's Supper, the Passover. I said, I did know about that. We actually <laughs> preached on that last Sunday. Interesting. And then we got in a conversation about what the cross was about. What was it about? And we talked about it. And Jesus, is, uh, they said, paid a ransom. And we talked a little more. I said, what about Easter? Do you celebrate? No, we don't celebrate Easter. If you know Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't celebrate the resurrection. Uh, Jesus was not resurrected bodily. He was spiritually resurrected in some sense. Started talking again about Friday, Good Friday, what happened. And um, Jesus is the perfect man. He had to receive the spirit of Messiah, but he is not the God-man we know. Jesus, fully God, fully man, what we learn, our theology. So we talked more and more about what the cross meant. It came, turned to find out that our understanding of what the cross meant, and their understanding of the cross meant, were very far apart, right? Because the cross has to be Jesus in our place, substituting for us on behalf of God, behalf of man, atoning for our sin, rising and defeating that we would have new life. If you miss any of that part, the cross is meaningless. The cross something we need to know, we need to understand. And so we've been on this journey the last few weeks to this central point in history where both Jew and Gentile are guilty in the cross of Christ. Um, this event today, we're heading there, is with Peter. And this is a significant event. It teaches us why the cross is so important. It also adds difficulty and pain for Jesus. Jesus is going to suffer the pain of the cross. But now on his way there, he's suffering the emotional trauma, the difficulty, perhaps worse, of someone clo so close to him, betraying and turning to from him, that is Peter. We're to come to this passage. You can tell there's two sections. There's an early part and there's a later. We don't have the, sli the other slides on here. We just have the, the text. So you have to follow along. If you have your Bible, it'd be easier to do that. Follow along with me if you have it on your phone. Um, but as we dive in, sometimes our worst, um, uh, you know, our worst moments can be our best moments. Um, it, it's almost trivial to me now, but I remember when I was a freshman in college. It's not a Christian. I went uh, to South Alabama, and I thought I was going to be the greatest baseball player that ever lived. And uh, I got there and uh, had a breakup in a relationship from a high school girlfriend. Anybody ever had that happen? You know, a couple of us. Uh, and then baseball wasn't turning out so good. And I wasn't the greatest anymore. I was just kind of average. When you think you're the best, average is not very good, right? And your whole identity is wrapped up in something. And I mean, I spiraled quickly. Lost the relationship. There were some challenges going on in my home, my family. And now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bench warmer. I'm a second stringer in something that I had found me. I was in the deep darkness of despair. And in that point, it's where God saved me. It's where I heard the gospel. I heard the hope. I heard the, the, the peace of redemption that I actually need Christ. And I'd heard it before, but now my heart was open to it, right? To receive it, to benefit from it. 
Paul speaks about it later in Corinthians about there being a thorn in the flesh. He's got this thorn. We don't quite know what it is. But it's there and he can't quite get rid of it. And he wishes he would just go away. It's this weakness he has. But it's in that weakness that what, ha- what happens? God's glory. God's strength. He is made strong. God is glorified in that weakness. I think there's something of that here in our passage today. Let's start looking at it here. Uh, verse 26, it says this, And when they had sung a hymn, just to know they sung a hymn, they were finishing the Lord's Supper, the Passover, like we did last week. They sung this hymn. This hymn is likely the psalm we started with, Psalm 118. If you know the Passover meal, they sang the Psalms of Halil. That's Psalms 113 to Psalm 118. The Jews would celebrate, they would sing those psalms at the end of the Passover. And we just read it to start our service. The psalms of praise. And so here, they just heard Jesus say, this is my body, this is my blood. And now they sing a song, a hymn. And they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus says to them, you will all fall away. <laughs> That's encouraging, isn't it? That's kind of a downer, Jesus. You know? We just had this great meal together and now you're all going to fall away. For it is written, Zechariah 13.7, Jesus quotes, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The shepherd's going to be struck. The sheep will be shattered. When, when the crunch time comes, when it gets real, the shepherd, when I'm gone, you guys are going to run and hide like scared little sheep. But Peter, oh Peter, but Peter protests, even though they all fall away. I will not. And Jesus has sobering words. Jesus responds, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter says emphatically, you are out of your mind, Jesus. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. I love the text says, and they all said the same. <laughs> so yeah, sure, what Peter said. We're with Peter. Peter's the leader. Peter's the strong one. The first thing I want you to see is that Peter is the boldness of Peter. Before we look at the dark side, let's look at the boldness of Peter. We've got to appreciate him in some regard. He's passionate. He's zealous. He's all in. He's, I'm, I'm charging the hill. You know, I'm going after, storming the gates of hell with my water gun. You know, I'm Peter. This is going to happen. Think about Peter. He's the guy, you remember in Matthew 16? Um, they say, uh, Jesus says, who do people say I am? And they say, some Elijah and some John the Baptist. And, and some say, you're a prophet. And Jesus says, who do you say I am, Peter? And Peter, at looking at Jesus, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. One of the best confessions we have in the Gospel. You are the anointed Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's Peter, he's bold, he's passionate. Peter's one of the three on the Mount of Transfiguration. With Peter, James, and John, they're up there where this, this light shines, this glory shines. Jesus is transfigured. Something crazy is going on. It's amazing. And he hears the voice from heaven speaking of Jesus. This is my beloved Son. And Peter's there. He gets to witness it. Explain that one when you come down the mountain. You know, Peter's there. He's bold. He's passionate. His boldness gets him in trouble sometimes. He's the one with Jesus, you remember? Jesus says, I'm going to suffer many things. It's going to be difficult. I'm going to die. 
And the text says, Peter rebukes Jesus. Think about that for a second. I just claimed he's the, the, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and now I'm going to rebuke him. Think about the boldness, the audacity of Peter. And Jesus says what? Get behind me, Satan. Remember that? It's Peter. Peter and Jesus have this intense relationship. A few verses after what I read, Jesus is going to be arrested. And when he's arrested, Peter's going to come out swinging. Jesus said, this is not the way of the kingdom. Jesus knows he's going to surrender himself. And Peter comes out and cuts the ear off of the servant, right? Cuts the ear off. That's Peter. He's bold. He's the leader. Others will follow. Even in verse 66, so... 26 to 31, Peter says, no way, I'm all in. Verse 26 to 72 is going to show his denial. But it starts in verse 66, it says, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, he was in the courtyard. Courtyard of what? Jesus had been arrested. He had been taken to the courtyard of the high priest. He's there. He's going to be tried right there and discussed before the high priest. And where's Peter? Peter's there. Peter's, but where are the other 11? Judas, he's on the way to hang himself. The other 10, where are they? The shepherd is struck and the sheep scatter. And Peter's there. He's in the courtyard. He's close. Peter's bold. We need to, before we dissect Peter, we need to appreciate Peter. You and I would have been gone a long time ago. I would have seen the pressure, I would have heard the high priest. I'd have seen the guy taking, arresting him in the garden, and I'm gone. Peter's there. Peter's bold. We need to appreciate Peter. We need to have uh, Meredith. We need to have some of that boldness to share, to ask. We need to have some of that gumption. We might get it wrong a few times. <laughs> we need to have some boldness. Paul prays it. Give me boldness. Open a door. We need to have some of the boldness of Peter. We need boldness. But this story is not, a, is not about the boldness of Peter, is it? <laughs> What's this about? It's about the denial. It's about the cowardice. Peter's bold, but Peter is a coward. Verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself by the fire, she looked at him and said, you were also with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it. It's important, it says, that he looked at him. That the girl looked at Peter. Their eyes made contact. They caught each other's eyes. And the girl saw Peter, and Peter saw her. That verb, looked, will come in importance in a few minutes. They caught eye contact. She saw him. She caught him. And he said, I, I don't understand. I don't even know what you're talking about. He said, you're, you're one of the Nazarenes. You're with Jesus. No, I, I don't even know. What you're, I don't even understand. He played dumb. He backed away. Isn't it interesting? It, it wasn't uh, the Roman soldiers. It wasn't one of the Jewish high officials. It wasn't even a prominent woman figure in the times. It was one of the servant girls. It was a servant girl. Came to Peter. And he denies text says in verse 68, after this happened, Peter's getting a little anxious. And so he moves away. He moves from the inner courtyard. He moves to the gateway. He's trying to figure out how to get out of Dodge. This could get ugly. 
He's backing away. And it says, as he was there, the rooster crowed the first time. I wonder what he thought at that point. Surely he heard it. It should have been a trigger, right? A warning. Jesus said this would happen. Have you ever been in that place in your own life of sin, of struggle, and you're doing something, you know you're not supposed to be doing it, and you keep going down this path, and you have this conviction and this warning, and you're just kind of like, oh, don't put that away, I want to keep doing my... And you keep going, and you know it's there, and there's like tricks, somebody brings up something, and you, yeah, I don't want to look at that. Anybody know, is it just me? Anybody else know that feeling? Peter's got that going on here. The rooster crowed, it, it warned him, and he... He was caught. He was caught in fear. He was overwhelmed. He was stuck in his sin, in his struggle. The the appearance of the the girl, the the words, the danger, the fear was greater than his confession of Jesus. It happens again, verse 69. The girl says, this man is one of them, but Peter denied it. Then it says, finally, there were some bystanders. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. All this language of Nazarene, Galilean, one of us, these are all languages that says Peter didn't quite fit in with this Jerusalem crowd. His accent, how he dressed, his mannerism says he was from the north. He was a Yankee. He was from Galilee. And now he's down here with the southerners. And they're like, you're not one of us. You're with that Nazarene. Oh, I heard you talk. You're a Galilean. We know who you are. We know who you belong to. And Peter says it. Mm. He says it. Well, first thing he says, he, the text says in verse 71, he says, uh, after this accusation, he says, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. What's the cursing about swearing? He's not dropping, you know, curse words, right? That we think of. He's, he's swearing. He's, he's uh, vowing on something. If you're in court, you need witnesses, right? You need someone to, you need an authority to speak for you. When there are blessings and curses, there are witnesses to that. He's invoking God as God is my witness. I do not know that man. That's what he said. It's the curse. He's calling on a higher authority to validate, to verify that he has no relationship. He doesn't even know this man, Jesus. Is that sobering? It makes me want to weep. Just a few hours before, he says, if everyone else fails you, I'm with you to the death. I'm your boy. I'm with you. You're the Christ. And now a few minutes later, literally a few hours later, as God is my witness, I'll be damned. I do not know Jesus. Sadness. It's not even the denial that's so bad. It, it certainly is. It's the contrast between his boldness of I'm in and now I'm out. The betrayal. You've been betrayed? We can't fathom this type of betrayal. The boldest proclamation and the worst cowardice. This is the human heart. Um, one of the, the, the challenges of, as we look back in history on, the, on, on World War II, 
on the Holocaust. Um, we, we can so easily name what the Nazi Germany did, what the uh, SS soldiers did, and such wickedness, such atrocities, such evil concentration camps. I mean, they were creative in how wicked they were. And yet there are stories of officers loving their wives and reading little stories to their little kids and playing ball with their little boys and being good parents, right? Such evil and yet such seeming goodness and kindness. Okay, well, that's an extreme example. You're right. It's an extreme example. But do you, do, you, do you watch the news every day? You get neighbor testimony or family testimony when someone does something wrong, a crime, and they think, I never thought this person would ever do that. I mean, they were the nicest person. All I've ever known is they're so friendly and kind. That sure does not sound like them. They have been so great. They've been wonderful neighbors. Or, you know, she was pretty quiet, but she was a great neighbor. I cannot imagine her doing that. She was so kind. Have you heard that before? Like every single witness testimony every day on every situation, every crime. I mean, he was a little odd in some ways, but he was a really nice, friendly person. It's the human heart. We have a propensity to be divided. To make the, the most... Uh, Lewis talked about it. When we're at our best in the image of God, we would almost be worshipped. It's so beautiful how much God can use us and do for us. And yet at our worst, we're so dangerous and damaging and so much pain can come from us. We're fickle. Peter has the great confession and the great denial in the same human heart. And I just say application. The application is we need to know this about ourselves. We need to know this. The, the, the damning thing about Peter when he was making these bold proclamations is he didn't know his own heart, right? He wasn't, he wasn't self-aware. He was passionate and zealous, but he didn't know the depths of his own heart. We just sang it in the first song, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. If you and I don't know that, we should not be surprised. When we see a moral failure on TV or we see someone fall, we shouldn't say, I can't believe those people. That should not, that's not the gospel response. The gospel response is, how close am I to that? Given the, the right context or the wrong context, how soon would that be my heart? How quickly do I run away from the Lord? Maybe it's not in some of these huge ways. Certainly, hopefully, it's not in, in Holocaust terms. But our heart runs to wickedness and evil. We do that. Even after we confess goodness. We need to know that's the heart. We need to know our hearts. And until we can name this about our hearts, we will have trouble loving and, know, and trusting Jesus. That's getting to our final point. Until we know our hearts have that propensity, we will struggle to trust and to love Jesus. Why do I say that? Brings me to my final point. Because our hope, and Peter's hope, is not based on our boldness. It's not based on the decisions we make. It's not based on our courage. It's not based on how strong we are. It's not based on how stable we are. Our salvation, our hope, our righteousness, our goodness, all rest on the graciousness of God. The Gospel story, the Easter story, the Lord's Supper, all that we do is an act of God's grace. 
We can be bold, but we can be cowardly. But our confidence today, the reason we're here again and can lift our heads up, is because God is gracious to us. One of the challenges um, in contemporary Christianity, kind of pop Christianity, is it's all about our, our witness, you know, our boldness. I'm taking a stand for Jesus. I've got a t-shirt, you know, I'm, I'm bold, I'm making my proclamation, I'm staking the ground. It's all about our experience, it's all about what we're going to do. We're, and that's fine, that's good, that's a lot of the good Peter boldness and desire and ambition. But let us not put our confidence and hope in our boldness. Let us, our confidence does not rest in our stake in the ground. Our confidence rests in the faithfulness and the graciousness of God for us. I hope you know that. This should put an end to our arrogance. We are who we are by the grace of God. I want to show you the graciousness of God briefly. In the same context, but it's in Luke's Gospel. It's the same passage in Luke's Gospel. I'm going to flip over and read it. Or I'll actually have it here. Luke 22, chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. Luke puts a little more clarity to this situation. And we'll see how gracious God is, how gracious Jesus is. After he confesses, or before he confesses, Jesus says this, Simon, speaking of Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. It's new insight. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, go strengthen the brothers. It's that first scene I read to you earlier when Peter says, no way, I'm always going to follow you. Luke records it and adds, and Peter, after you guys have turned away and come back again, go strengthen the brothers. Not weird. He's telling him, you're going to fall away, but you're going to come back. Isn't that interesting? Jesus knows our failures. Jesus knows our weakness. Jesus didn't pick Peter because he was the boldest and the best and the most qualified. He picked Peter because he was weak. He picked Peter because he was broken. He picked Peter because he was frail. He, he puts his love upon us because we're knuckleheads, right? Because we're broken. It's not in the Bible, but that's sort of a cliff nose. He puts his love on us because we're broken. And in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our propensity to both do love great and to love poorly or to do evil, God's glory shines forth more clearly because he uses people like us. Displays his glory. God is gracious. That's our hope. God's grace is personal. A few verses down in that same Gospel of Luke, verse 60 and 61, after he denies, or he's, the, 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 he's, he's called out, Peter says the third time, man, I don't know what you are talking about. This is the, the third time. I don't know the man. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And Luke adds this detail. Listen to this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Mark doesn't tell us that, does it? It says he denied a third time the rooster crowed. Luke said he denied a third time, and then Jesus turned and looked at him. It's the same verb. The woman, the little girl, looked at Peter. The eye contact, it means to see, to perceive, to catch the eye. And now he's had her eyes, the little servant girls, 
And now, he's got Jesus' eyes. Jesus sees him. What do you think his eyes are like? What do you think the servant girl's eyes were like? They were accusation, right? You're with the Nazarene. I see you. Their judgment. Their condemnation. What are Jesus' eyes? I think that's probably one of the biggest questions we could ever answer in our own lives. What is Jesus' disposition towards us? And I think, for Peter and for us, if we are in Christ, they're eyes of compassion. They're eyes of His love, His kindness, His grace, even in our worst possible moment. So how do I know that? What are the clues? Sounds good. Mark's Gospel doesn't mention Peter again after this incident until chapter 16. In the early part of chapter 16 of Mark, it's the resurrection story. And the two ladies, the ladies go to the tomb, and the tomb is empty, and there's an angel there, and they're like, where's the body? And the angel says these words, Do not be afraid, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen and He is not here, telling these ladies. See the place where they had laid Him. And the angel says this, But go tell the disciples and Peter. Two words. The angel tells the ladies, He's not here, He's risen. Go tell the disciples. And please, don't forget, somebody really needs to know this. Go tell Peter. He is risen. Peter needs to know the compassion. John ends John's Gospel the same way. Jesus and Peter have this encounter. Do you remember the story? How many times did Peter deny? Three? Peter said, if all of these fail, I will follow you. And Jesus meets Peter after the resurrection and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? One time. He says, of course. Second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus. Third time. Peter, do you love me? Of course, Jesus. You know that I love you. Three denials. Three affirmations. The graciousness of God. Not only did He meet him and restore him, He now dignified him. He now got to in front of His other apostles to affirm, I'm reinstated. I am a leader of this movement called the church. How gracious is God. What do we do with God's grace? We should be overwhelmed by it. A couple of things in application. We're not just passive with it. We have grace comes to us. What do we do? The passage ends in verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. He wept. Can you imagine the tears? You just made eye contact with the one you promised to go to the grave with after you denied three times. And Peter wept. That's repentance. That's repentance. Self-condemnation is what Judas did. Other sinner condemnation is blaming everyone else. Godly sorrow is weeping over our sin. Do you weep over your sin? Do 
Do we, church, do we weep over our sin? How do we respond to grace? It should be, Lord, oh my sin, though my sins are many, your grace is more weeping. Repentance. In his weakest moment, there's grace. The second thing I think we learn from Peter is that it's not just repentance. It is repentance. But that repentance comes from humility. And Peter begins to live into humility. He lives a life of humility. There's a couple books written by Peter. First and second Peter. And Peter says this. To first he says it to the elders of the church. First chapter 5. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility with one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know how hard fault those words were? <laughs> Peter, the pride one, tells the elders, if you're prideful, God will oppose you. He desires humility. And then Peter turns to the whole, to the whole group and says, Humble yourself, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that He might prosper you in due time, or that He might exalt you. Do you know what it cost Peter to say that? Peter has the fall of all falls from grace. And in this low point of weakness, he learned this virtue from Jesus, the chief virtue, the church virtue, the hallmark of who we are, that is humility. And so his weakness proved to be his strength. That's what we remember Peter for, right? The denial. Not all the other things. The denial. Because God uses it. So we conclude, we know Peter was bold. We know he was a coward and denied. We know the whole thing rests on God's grace. But you can know all of that and still miss something of this passage because even the most secular mind can say, yeah, our hearts are a mixed bag. You know, um, there's some good, there's some bad. That's true of all of us. God's gracious. If there's a God, He should forgive. He's gracious. We can all sort of believe that generally, but when we say that, we say that as though grace is cheap, don't we? Like God just sweeps it under the rug. So God's just passive. Like, yeah, I know, y'all are kind of messed up, but you do some good stuff, it's okay, no big deal, come on in. Right? While Peter was denying, where was Jesus? He's on that journey to the cross we talked about. Peter is denying, and Jesus is receiving the betrayal, the judgment, the scorn, the beatings, the accusations, the crucifixion. Peter was denying and Jesus was preparing to deal with his denial. Peter was being guilty and being ashamed and Jesus was preparing not only to take his guilt away, we're all guilty, but to take his shame so that when we see our eyes, we hide them because we can't look at Jesus, because we know what we've done, we know who we are, and Jesus was preparing to remove the shame. The exact moment we forget what he was doing. Last verse I want to read to you. The beginning point when Peter says, I'll never leave you, Jesus says, they will strike the shepherd and, he, and the people, the sheep will scatter. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. After I am raised up. Nobody caught that point. In the midst of saying you're going to fall away, he says, I am going to be raised. In other words, 
Sin's not the final word. Peter's denial is not the final word. Your shame, your guilt, your struggle, your battle, your cowardice, your boldness, it's not the final word. The final word is what Christ has done on our behalf. May we know the graciousness of God and may it produce a humility that makes us even bolder and even more courageous. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word today. We thank You that it is true. We thank You that we rest today not on our own efforts. We rest not in even how earnest we are. Lord, I pray we're earnest. I pray we're honest. I pray we're open. I pray our hearts are alive. And yet, I don't put any confidence that that's where salvation lies. We believe it lies in You and You alone. May that bring peace and comfort and joy today. God, be with us. Delight in us. We pray. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus, and His work on our behalf. It's in Your, it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing uh, this song, of, uh, this offertory song.